Hello and welcome to Youth Sunday. My name is uh, Connor Capolino. I'm a graduated now, senior. I went to Patrick Henry High School for a while, and in the fall I'll be attending Liberty University, where I intend on uh, majoring in business administration. Uh, so, we obviously have three speakers speaking today, uh, me, Taylor, and Wade, and I'm not convinced but I'm like 99% sure the reason I'm going first is so I can set the ball lower for Taylor and Wade just so they look like that much better. So, anyways, you know, bear with me as I try to, you know, teach. So, I'm going to start by uh, using my 13 years of uh, public school to uh, read to you uh, something from the old prophet Jeremiah in the uh, Old Testament. So, Jeremiah 1.7 says, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command of you. When I first read that, I was like, Okay, cool, is that it? But as I began to study it and read a few things, it kind of like more things came out to me. Anyways, so the Bible says, you're not too young to spread the word. I mean, I can relate to that in a few ways. Uh, one story, it takes me all the way back to 8th grade. Uh, do any of you know about Passport? Raise your hand if you know about Passport. Mm -hmm. Great crowd participation. Anyways, so, for those that don't know, Passport's a week-long camp that the middle schoolers at Gayton go to uh, during the summer. So way back to the magical year of 2016 when everything was functioning, uh, I went to Passport with the youth and every night they had a sermon and since we were all like 14 at the time, they were pretty dull. However, <laughs> the final night was a little different. Let me set the scene. It was a dark and stormy night, uh, quite literally, and I don't exactly remember what the sermon was about because it was forever ago. But I do very vividly remember feeling the Lord's presence. And since it was all stormy and rainy and stuff, uh, we were dismissed to the basement to like reflect on the message. And we felt the real presence of the Holy Spirit. And we were all like crying. And this says a lot because at the time, you know, a good deal of us, we didn't cry because we were big, tough middle schoolers. But the entirety of the youth was just in tears. And our summer intern at the time, Andy, shout out to Andy, uh, was explaining that this was the presence of God and never forget this experience. And I can honestly say, I don't think any of us have. And that was a bunch of kids, the oldest being like 14, 15 at the time. So feeling the presence at the Lord, of the Lord at that time, we will have that story forever. Second example, you know, fast forward to senior year. Uh, we currently have nearly half of our student ministry population serving in some capacity on Sunday mornings, uh, you know, when we were meeting in person, and as small group leaders, greeters, etc. Uh, Youth Sunday is just, it's a mere glimpse of what we did weekly. Youth serving for God. It's not a new concept. The Bible has many examples of God using youth for his cause. Some of you may be familiar with the story of David versus Goliath, that may have heard of it, it's not that popular. Uh, David was described as ruddy youth, which simply means he looked very youthful and young. Now, spoiler alert, but as the story goes on, with the power of God, David defeats the giant Goliath. Now, I use this example for two reasons. 
It's somewhat well known, and it demonstrates my point. Goliath could not be stopped by David's older brothers and all the other adults, because God called for David, a youth, to do it. David was able to succeed where others failed. Another youth that you might have heard of was the Virgin Mary. Scholars believe she was around the age of 14. At this young age, an angel descended from heaven and heard she was going to give birth to baby Jesus. Now, I did not know she was 14. I thought she was like 24 or something. So the whole do not be afraid line makes a lot more sense to me now. Anyways, uh, this is another great example of how God used youth to carry out an important task. Like, you know, giving the birth to the Savior of Earth or something. Kind of important. Now back to the present where everything's going great. God still uses the youth. We go on mission trips, we help out around the local area, and we have youth groups to share our experiences and learn together. So, now is where we all come in. Once this whole apocalypse thing is over and we go off to school or go back to school or even return to our job and normal routine, I challenge you to just try to talk about how God has made a difference in your life to just one person a day. You don't have to get like super preachy, just share your experiences and spread the good word. God will work through you as he has done in the past and has done on a daily basis. Thank you for listening. Have a great Sunday. Hey friends, my name is Taylor Teague and I recently graduated from Goochland High School. This fall, I'll be attending Liberty University and studying strategic communications. Today, we'll be looking into 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. While you are finding our passage for today, I'm going to start off with some background information. Why? Because context matters. Quick rundown on Peter. Peter was the disciple that Jesus called to walk on water. He also decided it was a fantastic idea to take a sword and chop off the ear of the soldiers who came to arrest Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, Peter was the one who denied him three times. My favorite thing about Peter was that he was the disciple whom Jesus rebuked or ragged on the most. And Peter was one of the only disciples who dared to rebuke Jesus in return. Those who are closest to me, and let's be honest, the majority of people who have ever been within earshot of me, know that I like to speak my mind. And I, like Peter, sometimes have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. I'm sure that I'm the only one that struggles with this. Let's dive into how a deeply flawed, quick-witted man like Peter had the audacity to call us to this standard of holiness. 1 Peter 1, 13-16 Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Let's look a little more closely into this call to be holy. The word holy is mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. While preparing to speak today, I did a little reflection. How could I tell people about how they are called to be holy when I don't even really know what the word holy truly means? The world's definition of holy is often related to a certain level of moral purity. However, the biblical definition of holy is more closely associated with the idea of apartness. It quite literally means set apart. What sets God apart from his creation is both his essential nature and the perfection of his being. 
Instead of reinforcing this separation by building a wall between him and his creation, God calls his believers to come to him and share in his apartness. When we are called to be holy, we are called to separate from the world in order to grow closer to him. I'm the kind of person who likes to ask a lot of questions. Go ahead and ask literally any adult or authoritative figure who has had the task of fielding the volley of questions I have almost every, at almost every word that comes out of their mouth. During this time of reflection that I had about holiness, I asked myself, how do I strive for this holiness? I was like, fantastic, now I know what holy means, but now, but now what? Like, what do I do now? So let's break down this passage piece by piece. If you are following along in your Bibles, I'm going to be working back and forth from the NIV version and the message versions. Verse 13 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. With minds that are alert and fully sober. Peter is saying that before you do anything else, you need to make sure that you are of sound mind. I often refer to my brain as a hamster wheel, spinning at a thousand miles an hour. Here, Peter is telling me that I need to slow that wheel down. Instead of letting those racing thoughts control me, I need to take control of what I think and what I set my mind upon. I need to get rid of loose and sloppy thinking. I need to become intentional about the things that I allow to take up space in my already crowded and overwhelmed brain. Here's the message version. It says, put your mind in gear. When your car is in park, you don't expect it to go anywhere, or at least I hope you don't. The, the same is said about your faith, or in this case, your holiness. Unless you make the conscious decision to start pursuing after it, and not only pursuing after it, but opening your heart to allow God to make a transformative heart change in your life, it will be stagnant, it won't grow. And then later in the verse, it says, set your hope on the grace that is coming. Take your focus off of the things that once clouded your mind and put them on the grace of God. For me, shifting my focus away from things like, I have no idea what career I want to pursue, or I don't currently have a steady source of income, or the opinions of others about my college decision. Not this kind of grace isn't just the grace that you were given when you gave your life to Christ. It's not just the grace that we are living in as seen in Romans 12 too. It's a grace that will be brought to us. God has only just begun to show us all of the riches of his grace. We need to let ourselves feel loved and feel that grace. We need to open ourselves up. Okay, so where are we? We have one, rolled up our sleeves and prepared our brains for the challenges ahead. And two, filled those newly prepared brains with the undeserved love and grace of God. So moving on, the message says, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil. Doing just what you feel like doing, you didn't know any better then, you do now. You did not know any better then, but you do now. Before you were a believer, you did not have any power calling you higher calling you to live to your full potential. I was going over this message with one of my best friends and she opened my eyes to the fact that 
Now, we as believers not only know better, but we have the power to do better. The Holy Spirit is walking alongside us, giving us the strength to reject the grooves that once held us, giving us the strength to accept God's grace when we fall back into those grooves. A peek into my brain, real fast, sometimes I'm not the best team player. I can feel my mom shaking her head. I know the way that I want things done in my brain, and often I feel that the easiest way to get things done is to complete them the way I want, by myself. When I saw this call to be holy, I got really excited because I'm a very goal-oriented person. I'm a type three on the Enneagram, which means that I am the achiever, constantly striving for more, 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 never really satisfied. The first time I read this, I read it as one more checkpoint to be reached, one more biblical achievement that I could put on my resume. But that is not what this is at all. It's not something we can pursue and check off on our own. Because get this, an example of the groups that are holding me personally is my achiever mindset. So you see how using my achiever mindset to get out of that groove really won't work. That is why we walk alongside the Holy Spirit in this call to be holy. It's not a solitary walk. It's not a change that we can make on our own. Moving on in the verse. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. Let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. I'm very involved in the organization Young Life, bringing young adults to Christ. And one of their anchor verses is John 10.10. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. When we follow where God is calling us to a life of blazing and energetic holiness, that is when we'll be able to live life to the full, to the absolute fullest, separated from the world that once controlled us. When the world promised to fill me, it left some things out. That being elected class president would not satisfy my need to be wanted. That being crowned homecoming queen did not magically fix all of my problems like it does in the movies. That people have opinions on what you should do with your life and where you should go to school. And sometimes those opinions hurt. When we separate from the world, we are able to reunite with the God who created us. We are called to be holy, not as the world thinks, but as God thinks. The world called Peter to be a fisherman, and Jesus called him to a life of holiness where he was a fisher of men. Besides lunch and recess, my favorite part of my 13 years as a student in Rico County has gotta be the field trips. I remember going on a field trip in fifth grade to Luray Caverns, a beautiful network of caves with cool rock formations that look like icicles. They're called stalactites and stalagmites for all the fifth grade geologists out there. Before we got out of the bus that day, my teacher said something that I've heard almost every time a group of kids or teenagers goes somewhere all from the same organization. He said, from the time y'all walk out of this bus, you're representing Knuckles Farm Elementary School for better or for worse. So behave yourselves and make it for the better. Just this year, seven years later, my government class went on another field trip of sorts, a competition called We the People. 
on this field trip, we obviously represented Glen Allen High School. But for this particular mission, there was more to our ambassadorship. The whole entire competition hung on how prepared we were to deliver our opening statements about our constitutional topics, in addition to how prepared we were to answer spontaneous questions from the judges about how we apply the Constitution in America today. The essence of our mission lied in our preparation. After two months of writing and researching and debating, it all came down to a four-minute opening statement and a six-minute question and answer period. And if we were properly prepared beforehand, we represented Glen Allen well. Similar to my host of field trips throughout the years, our goal as Christians should center around representing Christ well by preparing ourselves to do so, by being ready to do so. And we're ready to do so when we start to love God and love others as Christ first loved us. Today we'll be thinking about 1 Peter 11 and 12. So let's look at the context of these verses. The author, if you haven't guessed it yet, is Peter, one of the first disciples called by Jesus. Peter was a fisherman, but Jesus instead calls him to become a fisher of men. Somehow, Peter was ready to be called by Christ without reservations or hesitations. About 30 years later, long after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and starts the greatest movement in history, Peter writes this book as a letter to churches in what is now known as Asia Minor or Turkey. At the time, there was a great fire in the Roman Empire that was blamed on Christians. And as a result, the Roman Empire now had an excuse to persecute Christians on the basis of their beliefs. Peter writes encouragement and instructions to churches scattered across Asia Minor so that they will keep their faith in Christ through this persecution. So now I'll read 1 Peter 11 and 12 for y'all. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter, a man's man, a masculine fisherman, uses the word beloved eight times in his two letters. I don't know about you, but I don't see football players or weightlifters going around calling their friends beloved. The English word beloved comes from the Greek word agape. Shout out to agape preschool. Agape is a sacrificial love that God has for us and we should have for our neighbors. This type of love is not simply a feeling, but a conviction to work for the good of others, empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we start to exhibit this agape love towards our neighbors, we are ready, as Peter was, to follow God's calling when he leads us. As God's beloved, however, we often and should become outsiders in the world. Peter calls the Christians at the time, and I believe he calls all Christians at any time, sojourners and exiles in the world. Sojourners are someone who resides temporarily in a place, while exiles have been temporarily barred from their native lands. Both of these are true of all Christians on earth because when we're born again in Christ, heaven becomes our home, and this earth and this body becomes a temporary residence. Until we die, we're barred from our native land with God in heaven. C.S. Lewis calls Christians soldiers in enemy-occupied territory. 
Whether there's explicit persecution, such as in Peter's day or not, the devil always tries to work against those who follow God, to lead them astray and prevent them from showing the light of Christ to others. And the means by which the devil works against us usually lie in ourselves, our own inclinations as flawed and sinful human beings. Even though we've been saved, given grace, and made righteous in God's eyes, we still fall to what Peter calls the passions of the flesh, which Galatians 5.19 calls obvious. Although the message version of Galatians 5.19 to 21 takes quite the poetic license with its interpretation, it demonstrates well the pettiness of some of our human sins. But the ramifications of these sins without God's grace are not petty at all. It goes like this. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all of the time. Repetitive, loveless, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of communities. Whew, that was quite a powerful description and list. Those are just some of the sins that humans fall into, some of the sins that wage war against our soul, and some of the sins that Peter emphatically warns us to avoid as Christians. However, living for Christ doesn't only entail a negative avoidance of sins, but an active obedience in being ready for what God calls us to by living by the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Living life as a Christian and only an avoidance of sin rather than an active pursuit of what God calls us to is like trying to not think of an elephant while saying elephant over and over again. It just doesn't work. That's why Peter goes on in verse 12 to say, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The first word you might notice is Gentiles, which means all those not of the Jewish faith. But for our purposes, we can look at Gentiles as those in our world who aren't Christians. Peter doesn't mean here to put on a show for those outside the faith. He doesn't mean that Christians should inauthentically display their faith through prayer or good deeds or charity so that other people will join their churches because that is not consistent with anywhere else in the Bible. In fact, Matthew 6, 5 and 6 tells us, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close your door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 1 Peter 12 also doesn't mean that Christians have to be perfect in order to reflect the light of Christ. 
Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The reality is that as long as humans carry the message of Christ, there will unfortunately be some level of hypocrisy. And the hypocrisy of some doesn't nullify the faith of all or give outsiders a valid reason to reject Christ, who himself lived the perfect life and died the perfect death so that we may be saved. Let me read verse 12 again for you and then tell you what I think it does mean. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He does mean this. If we are truly changed by the message of Christ, then the overflow of our hearts will reflect behavior that draws others outside of the faith towards Jesus. That's not all, though. Just a chapter later in verse 315, Peter tells us, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Two of the most common reasons that those who don't know Christ reject Christianity or those who once followed turn away is that one, they see hypocrisy in his followers. And two, his followers fail to gently and respectfully give the reason for the hope that they have in Christ. Your actions represent our faith, and not by your own effort, but by God's grace, you can show the world the soul-transforming power of Christ. So heed my elementary school teacher's advice, and heed Peter's advice, and be ready to represent the cause for which you stand in the group by which you stand. Be ready to face the world as an outsider. Be ready to be in the world, but not of it. Be ready to abstain from your sinful desires. Be ready to reflect the light of Christ through your own mirror, only because the power of Christ through his sacrifice makes that reflection clear. Be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. And be ready to join our God in a place far better than Luray Caverns, in a place where we aren't sojourners, where we aren't exiles, where we are finally home. Thank you.